Stand Up for the Truth is sponsored by Lakeshore Communications Incorporated and made possible by your generous tax-deductible donations at StandUpForTheTruth.com slash donate. This is Stand Up for the Truth, a packed hour of challenging discussion addressing important issues and topics affecting Christians across the nation. Join the conversation via email at comments at StandUpForTheTruth.com. Now, David Fiorazzo. Hello, brothers and sisters in Christ, the remnant of true Bible-believing Christians and troublemakers for the kingdom of God. Um, I saw this billboard. It says, choose reason over treason, vote blue on November 8th. And I'm thinking, hmm, choose reason over treason. So the people that are calling a boy a girl and a girl a boy and um, they want to abort pre-born children in mothers' wombs up until the second they are allowed to be born, they are saying they're the side of reason. And anyone who lines up with the other side, you are a traitor. You're, that's treason. So we're going to talk about that in our the second half of the podcast today. Why? Because we have midterm elections coming up, and we would hope that Bible-believing Christians would get out and vote because that is not only a privilege and, and, a, and an honor, that is your responsibility and right as an American citizen. So we'll talk about that and a couple other articles that we need to mention. Uh, Canadian pastor uh, Tim Stevens, we've interviewed him several times here on the podcast. He's with Fairview Baptist Church in Calgary, Alberta, Canada. Well, he's been acquitted. Remember, police hunted him and his, his church. They had a helicopter and they arrested him and his family Actually, in front of his family on his driveway, his kids were crying. They arrested Tim Stevens, a peaceful, uh, respectful, Bible-believing Christian and an excellent pastor. So we'll talk about that article later on. It kind of goes into today's subject with Todd Nettleton and Voice of the Martyrs on persecution. Um, but I want to read Hebrews chapter 11 to get us going. And by the way, Mary Danielson, hello. Good morning to everyone out there. Yeah, This is her first week co-hosting the podcast, so it's a blessing. We're getting used to going back and forth and doing this. But Hebrews 11, and what more shall I say, verse 32, for time will fail me if I tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, of David and Samuel and the prophets, who by faith conquered kingdoms, performed acts of righteousness, obtained promises, shut the mouths of lions. And then it goes on, and it says in verse um, 37, they were stoned, they were sawn in two, they were tempted, they were put to death. With the sword, they went about in sheepskins, goatskins, being destitute, afflicted, ill-treated, men of whom the world was not worthy, wandering in the deserts and mountains and caves and holes in the ground. And all these, having gained approval through faith, did not receive what was promised. Hebrews 11, great chapter. We'll talk a little bit about the context of that when we have our guest come on right now. Todd Nettleton is back with us, Director of Media and Public Relations for The Voice of the Martyrs USA. He also hosts VOM Radio. Uh, Todd, thank you so much for coming back on Stand Up for the Truth. It is my pleasure. Great to be with you. So let's start off by mentioning your recent book, When Faith is Forbidden. We've had you on a few times to talk about that. Amazing, impactful stories in that book. And I'm going to hand it over to Mary Danielson. She just read it last night, and I'll just get her comments, and then we'll go into some questions. You know, I picked this book up and I, I wasn't sure, you know, what to expect. And as I read further and further into these incredible testimonies of people who faced persecution and doubt and fear and isolation and all the things you mentioned in Hebrews, actually, I mm. found myself having goosebumps. I found myself thinking, wow, this boosts my faith hearing how God lifted them. And there's a quote in there. This really stuck with me, Todd. I got to tell you, it's on page 25. It says, a racehorse can run just as fast in either direction. Um, in other words, one who is zealous for sin will often become zealous for Christ. One who beat Christians might eventually accept beatings with joy and service mm. to his king. And so many times we look at, you know, we might say, well, these people are too hard-hearted. They'll never get saved. You know, the Jonah complex that, you know, I don't like these people. They'll never get saved. But I see by that quote that, you know, um, we can't write people off because of where they're at, but continue continue to work um, toward uh, you know what you're doing, Todd, which is just phenomenal. So, well, th thank ahead, you Todd. so much. I, I love hearing people that have been impacted by the stories, and uh, like you said, you said it boosts your faith, and I, and I think 
sometimes when people hear, well, they're going to talk about persecuted Christians, they're going to talk about Christians in jail, Christians being beaten. Uh, I think some people may think, well, why would I want to hear those stories? That <laughs> that sounds so discouraging and so depressing. No, when you hear the story, when you hear what God does in the midst of a prison cell, in the midst of a beating, mm. uh, it actually boosts our faith. It encourages us mm-hmm. yes. uh, to be more bold ourselves. Oh, amen, brother. Um, I just want to say when I read the book, um, a couple of chapters had me in tears. And, uh, and, and I'm glad no one was watching me read because that's <laughs> embarrassing as a man. I'm kidding. But it just very impactful. Todd, what, uh, how's the book doing? What have you heard from people? I'm sure you're getting, still getting tons of feedback. It, it's doing very, very well still on Amazon. And uh, yeah, uh, what's, what's the latest with that? You know, it has been very, very well received, and I, I love I love hearing feedback. I love hearing from people who read it. I love hearing from people who were impacted by the stories, who are praying regularly for persecuted Christians now. Maybe they weren't before that. Mm. Um, so it, it has done very, very well. Uh, it actually this year was named the Christian Book Award winner in Ooh. the category of biography and memoir, which was wow. a, a great a great blessing, a great pat on the shoulder. Uh, but what really excited me about the award was I think more people will read the book now. More Amen. more people will mm. see these stories and, and meet these brothers and sisters. And that's that's really the goal of the book is after you read these 40 stories, you feel like, hey, I just sat down and had a cup of tea with uh, the people who who are listed in mm. Hebrews, the, the yeah. heroes of the faith today. Mm. Um, and, and I got to meet them and I got to hear their story. That's how I want you to feel when you close the book and, uh, hearing from readers and even this morning hearing th- that is how you felt that that's really gratifying mm. to me as, as a writer and as a storyteller and as a representative of our brothers and sisters who suffer for Christ. Well, these are real stories. These are real people. And there is real suffering in the world that we don't hear about as often as I, w- I would hope we would hear about. And I want to ask you about that, Todd. You said this is one of the busiest weeks in your life <laughs> for the year. And one of the reasons is the media just doesn't want to talk about this around the year. But why are they talking about it this week? Well, the the good news is they're talking about it this week. And yes. as we lead in, this yeah. this coming Sunday is the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians, the first Sunday in November. Every year since 1996, we have set aside that day and said, hey, church, hey, Christians, today's the day you're going to pray. We're going to pray together for our brothers and sisters who are persecuted for their faith. The, the bad news is uh, for a, a good portion of the media world and frankly, the Christian media world, uh, it's like they need a day on the calendar to talk about persecuted Christians. So so I, I'm doing a ton of interviews. I have four today. I had three yesterday. Um, a lot of interviews this week to talk about persecuted Christians. And sadly, for several of those folks, not not you guys, thankfully, but for several of those folks, it's the one time of the year that I'll talk to them <laughs> because, uh-huh. you know, it's IDOP. Oh, hey, we need to talk about persecuted Christians. Yeah, let's do that. Schedule Todd. Uh, let's get him on. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the rest of the year, they're kind of like, we got other stuff to talk about. We're, we're doing other stuff. And so I I don't want to criticize because I'm thankful for every opportunity that I have to share about persecuted Christians and to share what God is doing in hostile and restricted nations. Uh, but I do it does make me sad that that for a certain element of the church and a certain element of the Christian media, it's like, okay, we we mark that off our calendar for this year. We'll we'll see you again mm. next November. Yeah, I'm sorry that that's the case, and we would hope that more churches would get engaged and talk about it throughout the year and be involved. One way you can do that: go to the website for Voice of the Martyrs, Persecution dot com. And Todd, you said if they churches have something planned for this Sunday, they can do an international day of they can pray for persecuted Christians the following day, the following Sunday. I mean, can you just explain that for those? um, Maybe there are some pastors that are listening and they go, oh, you know, I wanted to do something, but this Sunday won't quite work. Uh, what, What can they do? Go to persecution.com, and uh, that's the main Voice of the Martyrs website. Right now at the top of the page is a link to all the resources for the International Day of Prayer. We have a free resource kit that is both we'll, we'll send you a DVD. We will You can download the video. It can be used this coming Sunday. It could be used the following Sunday. Uh, it could be used the third Sunday in January. <laughs> the important thing is not what the calendar says today's date is. The important thing is your church is going to pray for persecuted Christians. People in your congregation are going to hear from the platform, hey, this is so important. 
that we're going to take time in our Sunday morning service. We're going to take time as a church body, and we're going to pray for our brothers and sisters who are suffering. Um, so absolutely, the resources are there. They are free. You can get them. You can download them. We'll send them to you, and you can use them whenever. Now, obviously, you know, this coming Sunday, we're going to have thousands of churches, and, and there is something powerful about yes. knowing, hey, we're a part of the wider body of Christ, mm -hmm. and the whole body of Christ is joining hands today to pray for persecuted Christians. That There is something powerful about that. Uh, but if you've already scheduled this Sunday and, and you just can't fit it in, pick the next Sunday. Pick another Sunday. Just make sure that your church is going to pray for persecuted Christians. Amen. Well, and I would hope that churches would do this 52 weeks a year. I mean, it's Amen. Uh, when I'm when I'm reading the book, I'm thinking to myself, because, you know, I know the way the world is going. And if Americans, if the persecution cranks up here, you know, um, are we going to be ready for that? And of course, God will cause us to be ready. But I felt such a kinship because that was in the back of my mind as I'm reading your book. And I'm thinking, you know, reading these things helps build my faith for that day that we might face. Yes. And I thought I... Haji and all these people, and I can't remember their exact names at the moment, but boy, they are living on in my heart because it became three-dimensional for me, and it gave me the peace that if it does come here in spades, I can I can really relate to these stories, and hopefully it'll continue to encourage us all as a body. Mm, amen. Yeah, I I think that's part of the powerful thing about these stories. And the, the illustration I love, as a football fan, and I know you guys have a lot of listeners who are football fans up there, mm -hmm. um, if I'm going to play the New England Patriots this coming weekend, I want to watch video of the team that just beat the New England Patriots. Mm. I want to see what they did right mm -hmm. and how they beat them. <laughs> if I'm going to face persecution next year, I want to watch video of the people who've already faced persecution. Mm. Oh, what a great they analogy. came out with a smile on their face. They came out with their faith, not not just their faith intact, but their faith stronger than it was before. Mm. Those are the kind of stories I need to prepare myself for the day if if it's mm. God's will that I face persecution myself. So that's that's one of the, the things that comes out of the book is, hey, you're preparing. You may not think about it that way, but you're preparing yourself mm. to withstand persecution in your own life mm -hmm. because you're watching film, you're seeing, you're hearing the stories of those who already faced it and they won. Mm -hmm. Amen. Mm -hmm. And as we've mentioned, uh, we have interviewed pastors who have been imprisoned um, for their faith, for either keeping their churches open or for taking a biblical stand. And that's in, a, in North America. But, Todd, let's go over to Iran, and there are some protests going on. We don't often hear these stories, obviously, on our mainstream media. So tell us, uh, go, let's go around the world a little bit and tell us what's happening, what you're finding out. Well, thousands of Iranians are taking to the streets literally every day, and they have been for seven weeks now. This is not something that, like, they had one day and then they all went back home. For seven weeks, Iranians have been protesting in the streets after a young woman was killed in police custody. Uh, the, the crime for which she was arrested was not wearing her headscarf properly. Uh, but the thing for us as Christians to understand about these protests, the government in Iran is Islam. The government, the leaders of the government are the Islamic mullahs, the Islamic leaders. And they have said since the Islamic revolution in 1979, we are running our country according to Islamic principles. We are running our country according to just what the Quran says to us. And so when you see thousands of people in the streets protesting against the government, hmm. what they are protesting against is Islam. Well, what they are saying is we don't think Islam works. We don't want Islam anymore. We don't want to be run by Islamic principles. And so that is really a call for revival by the people of Iran. And I have heard from Iranian Christians, even in the last couple of weeks, there are Christians out among the protesters, not necessarily to protest, but to witness for Christ. And they are talking to protesters and saying, hey, are you tired of Islam? Yes, I'm tired of Islam. That's why I'm out here marching. Wow. Let me tell you about a different way. Let me tell you about Jesus. Let me tell you about another pathway that you could take. So Christians are using this opportunity as an opportunity to witness. And again, just a reminder, when we see the video of people shouting and marching, they are saying, we don't like Islam. We don't mm. want this anymore. We need to be praying that there will be mm. more revival, and there is already a revival going on in Iran, yeah. but more people will come to Christ as they are expressing that frustration and as they are looking for another way to live and another pathway to eternity. Mm. 
Isn't there an underground church there that's been uh, growing? Like I, I've heard reports. Uh, can you tell us a little bit about that? You say that people are sharing this openly on the streets, saying, "Here's why they don't like Islam. Here's another way." Um, what kind of freedom do they have to have these conversations there? It is the fastest growing church in the world is in the Islamic Republic of Iran. And I've oh. actually had Iranian Christians point to Ayatollah Khomeini, the leader of the Islamic Revolution, and say that guy was the greatest Christian missionary in the history of Iran. <laughs> and it's like, well, wait a minute. He's not even a Christian. And they're like, yeah. But he showed the people what Islam looks like. And they said, that, <laughs> that's not what we want. We don't want wow. that. Um, so the fastest growing church in the world, when we talk about these people out among the protesters witnessing, they are taking their lives in their hands. Uh, protesters have been killed. Protesters have been beaten, arrested, put in prison. So they know it is a very dangerous thing to be out among the protesters, but they consider the opportunity to share their faith in such a, a crucial time, in such a, a time when people are so open they consider that a worthwhile risk. Yes, I could go to prison. Yes, I, I could be killed. But but of course, then I would go to be with Jesus. But it's worth that risk in order to be able to share the gospel with my countrymen who are so wow. desperate. They're they're desperate for another way. They are risking their lives to say we want something different. We don't like Islam anymore. Surely Christians are willing to risk their lives to say, hey, we can give you something different. We know a different way. Wow. I, you know, Todd, I think with, uh, with the average, you know, churchgoer in America, you know, we see unrest in various places in the world. We see the Ukraine. We see Syria, Iran, uh, wherever we might see that. And our first thought probably isn't, gee, I wonder what God's doing there. But I'm wondering if that shouldn't be our first thought. You know, in the Ukraine, we may never learn till we get to heaven all the incredible uh, harvest that came about in the midst of the chaos in these mm. countries. So we can report these stories, but I think, I think the the worldview should be what's God doing there. And again, yeah. even though we may not find out uh, until eternity, it's a good mindset to have. Mm -hmm. it, it's a great mindset to have, and, and I think about that. And I've in the book I challenge people, even in our own lives, when when things aren't going right. Uh, our prayer tends to be, Lord, make things go right, mm -hmm. <laughs> instead of, oh, Lord, what are you trying to teach me here? Yes. Oh, Lord, yes. who are you yeah. putting in my pathway that, that you have for me to share the gospel with? Well, and that's we why this pray, book Lord, is... Lord, send in the Marines and get yeah. me out of here. Well, I think, I think uh, your and, book and is a game changer. we need to think differently. Yeah. yeah, I think your book is a game changer. It was for me. I don't think I'll ever be the same since I read that book. Wow. Amen. Todd, get that on tape. <laughs> <laughs> so um, we're speaking with Todd Nelton, Voice of the Martyrs, and um, very impactful stories because, I, as we said before, these are real people. But I confess, uh, Todd, one of my reactions when I hear about what's going on in other countries is, thank God I don't live there. And forgive me for, for – I'm just being honest, but that's – I know. I, that's, I'm the same way. Yep. That's how spoiled we are in the United States under our Constitution with the First Amendment and religious freedoms. Two minutes left in this segment. Just comment on that for a moment. We are incredibly blessed uh, to be born in the United States. I don't think there's any way to, to deny that. Mm -hmm. We have incredible freedoms. We have incredible blessings. Uh, but – if we don't take advantage of those freedoms, uh, why why do we have them? Or, or are they, you know, are we take are we using them? Um, you know, I think about brothers and sisters in Iran who are out sharing the gospel. They're putting their lives in their hands. I could knock on my neighbor's door, and I'm not I'm not taking any risk at all, other no. than maybe a, a relationship, maybe a little embarrassment on my part. But how often do I do that? Mm. Uh, people in China are risking their lives to give Bibles to their neighbors, to their friends. I could do that with no risk at all. But how often am I doing it? How often am I actually putting a Bible or putting a gospel of John in somebody's hands and saying, hey, I really want you to have this? Amen. So it's easy to say, boy, we are thankful for our freedoms. And I certainly am so thankful that I was born in the United States. But the challenge is, okay, let's take advantage of our freedoms. Let's yes. make sure we're using them to build the kingdom. Amen, brother. Uh, Todd, what, coming up, we're going to talk about China, northern Nigeria, and a little bit about your trip. You went to Israel in July. I want to hear a little bit about that. Remember, you can get the VOM magazine. Subscribe uh, for a free. Uh, that's at persecution.com. Plus, when we come back, Netanyahu and Israel in the elections. We'll touch on that as well and a whole lot more on Stand Up for the Truth. 
Your monthly financial support of StandUpForTheTruth.com is needed and appreciated. Now, back to today's Stand Up For The Truth with David Fiorazzo. Todd Nettleton is our guest today. The book, When Faith is Forbidden, 40 Days on the Front Lines with Persecuted Christians. That's available if you haven't read that. But you can go to persecution.com and get a free magazine subscription. I get it. We actually get it here, too, at Stand Up For The Truth at Q90FM. But, Mary, you wanted to ask Todd something before we get into China. Yes, um, I, I saw your interview with Mike Huckabee, and it was it was great. And when, the thing that stuck out to me is um, how active VOM is with boots on the ground to come alongside these prisoners, uh, whether they have medical issues or they're in prison, and to provide aid and comfort and to really be that uh, that go between that encouragement to these people in case you know, lest they think they've forgotten in any way, shape, or form. And it, when people contribute to VOM. You know, it's it's great to let them know uh, where the funds go. Can you tell us you know, how many countries have you been in, and and how does that work? How do you come alongside uh, the persecuted church? Well, you're very right. You know, people hear the Voice of the Martyrs Radio, they hear me on the radio, they get the magazine, and they think, well, that's that's what VOM does. They tell the stories of persecuted Christians, and yes, that is true. That is what we do. But we also are on the ground in more than 70 countries where Christians are persecuted. And really our work in those hostile and restricted nations falls into one of three categories. The first is persecution response, kind of what you talked about. Hey, uh, the pastor is in prison. How are his wife and kids going to eat while he's in Mm -hmm. prison? How are they going to keep a roof over their head? Well, that is persecution response. Maybe someone has been injured in an attack because they're a Christian. Who's going to pay their doctor bill? That is persecution response. Mm -hmm. That's where we can come alongside and say, hey, we're going to meet that need. We're going to make sure you have a roof over your head. We're going to make sure you get cared for. The second area of our ministry overseas is Bibles. And for the last number of years, every year we have distributed over a million Bibles into hostile and restricted nations. And so that is getting the word of God to the people of God. Mm to strengthen them, to grow the church so they have a tool to witness, but also to prepare them to withstand persecution. The third area, persecution response number one, Bibles number two, the third area is what we call frontline workers, and I kind of jokingly call them pre-persecuted Christians. (laughs) These are gospel workers, pastors, church planters who are out sharing the gospel in a hostile or restricted nation where they could be persecuted and likely at some point will be persecuted. And we are providing them with tools and training and encouragement to make them as fruitful as possible and to prepare them for the day when persecution comes. So absolutely, that work goes on in those countries. Our international ministry staff, they're on planes, on in hotels, uh, in some places that are not places we'd want to go for about 90 to 100 nights a year. That's what they do. That's what their job is. Uh, And they develop these contacts so that when a pastor is attacked in a little village in northern India, we'll get a phone call and says, hey, this pastor was just attacked. He's been taken to the hospital. Can you guys help? And we can say, absolutely, we can help. We'll take care of his hospital. We'll take care of that doctor. So Mm -hmm. um, that's what Voice of the Martyrs does on the ground in more than 70 countries Mm -hmm. around the world. Excellent. Praise God. And you can hear VOM every Saturday morning here at Q90FM.com on the radio station that powers stand up for the truth reminder international day of prayer for the persecuted christian that's this sunday voice of the martyrs has resources and that free downloadable video that uh, todd nettleton mentioned to show in your church just go to persecution.com todd we are in the midst of uh, campaign season again because midterm elections are coming up which uh, when we say goodbye to you we're going to be talking about that and in the christian perspective on voting and elections and censorship and all kinds of stuff. But over in China, I heard they recently had a, quote, election. (laughs) So and I guess they have the same leader, surprisingly. So tell us what's going on over in communist China. Yeah, very, very surprising result. They had the uh, the Communist Party Congress uh, last week in Beijing. This is something that happens once every five years. So this is a, a big deal in China. They did reelect, uh, quote unquote, reelect <laughs> Xi Jinping, uh, the chairman of the Communist Party. He has already served for 10 years, uh, two five year terms previously. That was the limit. Uh, but he changed the law. And so now you Surprise. can serve more than two terms. And guess what? He got elected to a third term. And so 
Here's what that means for Christians, though. In the last 10 years that he's been in charge, Christian persecution has increased. Religious freedom has decreased. Attacks on churches, pastors being put in prison, uh, churches being closed down, even registered churches, the, what we used to say were government-approved churches. Even those have been attacked and closed down by Xi Jinping's government. So for Christians in China who have been watching the news and they say, oh, five more years of Xi Jinping, for a Christian in China, they know that means five more years of increased persecution, five more years of more laws against the church, more enforcement against the church. Uh, and so as we watch again, we watch the news and we see this and we may think, oh, you know, yeah, that was on the news. But our brothers and sisters are affected directly by decisions like that. Mm -hmm. And, you know, one of the things we we're talking about praying for persecuted Christians on Sunday, the International Day of Prayer for Persecuted Christians. But let's remember the words of Christ that we're supposed to pray for the persecutors as well. Mm. And you think about Xi Jinping, you think about the amount of power that he now wields in China. Mm. What would happen if Xi Jinping had a dramatic encounter with Jesus mm. Christ and his heart was transformed? It mm. could transform more than a billion people's lives. So let's remember to pray for the persecutors as mm -hmm. well Amen. when we're praying this week for persecuted Christians. Mm -hmm. Amen. Uh, Todd, we've just got a few minutes left with you, but uh, you've got a VOM radio interview coming up with a Fulani man. When you hear Fulani, typically that's the Fulani tribes persecuting Christians in Nigeria. Tell us a little bit about that. Yeah, this is great. Not not this coming weekend, but the following weekend. We're going to have our brother Hakeem. He is a Fulani. And like you said, typically, if I'm talking about Fulani, it's because there's been a Fulani attack on a church or a Fulani attack on a Christian village in northern Nigeria. Hakeem, though, is a Fulani Christian. He is a follower of Christ from the Fulani tribe who has been persecuted because of that. In fact, his own family has persecuted him once he made that decision to follow Christ. But we're going to meet him on Voice of the Martyrs Radio and hear his story. Uh, he came to Christ through the ministry of a missionary there in Africa. And uh, Hakim's desire, he saw this missionary, he thought he is a good man. He, he's very nice to me. He's very kind. I hate it that he's going to go to hell because he's not a good Muslim. And so Hakim set out to convert the missionary. He said, you know, I want to save you from hell. I'm going to tell you about Islam. And the missionary really challenged Hakim to read the New Testament, read the life of Jesus and see if really he, at the end of that, thought Islam was the truth. Hakim came to the knowledge that, no, Islam is not the truth. Jesus is the truth. He became a follower of Christ. And like I say, his own family persecuted him because of that decision. Wow. Um, Todd, we're, we're technically out of time. Do, are you uh, pressed for time, or can you share with us just a little bit about Israel for a minute? Yeah, let's let's talk just a little yes, bit. And yes. I had the chance to go to Israel. Uh, amazing country. I think every Christian should go. And, you know, some people get very uncomfortable if we talk about persecution in Israel. Well, it is not the Israeli government that is typically persecuting people. It is typically ultra-Orthodox Jews, ultra-Orthodox organizations, what they call mm. anti-missionary groups that mm. are very concerned about Jewish people choosing to follow Yeshua, the Messiah. Wow. Uh, and so that is where you see pressure mm. and persecution, and you see churches being told, oh, well, we're going to have to close down your building. You've, you've violated the zoning codes. We're going to have to close down your building. Well, you know, the disco next door also violated the zoning codes, but you didn't close them down. It is only the church that is being closed down. Those are the kind of stories we heard as we were with Christians in Israel. Mm. Praise God. Uh, we will have to get more uh, next time you're on with us and, and hear a little bit more about that. And I'm sure you'll have many, many new stories on all the work that you're doing helping persecuted Christians. God bless you, Todd. It's persecution.com. We appreciate your time today, brother. Thank you. Yes, thank you, Todd. Thank you guys so much, and uh, it's just it's always fun to be with you. Yeah, praise God. We will do it again, and you can hear Todd, Voice of the Martyrs Radio, Saturday mornings here, Q90FM.com. And, uh, guys, we've got to just mention that he uh, w w just made me rem remember a story that we had. I think we teased this at the top of the podcast. Good news, Canadian pastor Tim Stevens, whom we've had on the podcast a couple times, he has been acquitted after pandemic police hunted him and his church, by the way, even with a helicopter, um, he was arrested twice last year for defying the Canadian government's harsh public health restrictions. He was acquitted Tuesday. Quote, we are pleased that the court that the court has acquitted Pastor Stevens 
on the charges of not complying with a public health order, and he was illegally arrested and imprisoned for having violated the public health orders, which have since been shown to be ineffective and harmful, uh, end quote, not only in Canada but North America. The article is a little extensive. It's over at CBN. Dot com, CBN.com. Mary, before we go on to Israel and Netanyahu and the election there, your, your thoughts on this story where we have pastors in North America that said, no, I'm not closing my churches. I will be respectful. I will give people the choice of whether they want to come and worship mm-hmm. or not. But I, I must obey God and allow people to assemble. What are your thoughts? Well, and I think the pandemic was a perfect opportunity for churches to understand once again why they even exist. Because if, 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 if circumstances and things like that cause a church to pull back on their mission and pull back on, on, uh, meeting people's needs and explaining what's going on, then, then did they ever really understand what they were? It's like a cleansing thing, you know, cause the church has gone astray in so many yes, ways. Yes. Um, you know, we're nickels and noses. We're all about your purpose. We're all about, um, what do you want to see in a church? And then now all of a sudden, it's like God is saying, what is the church? Yes. What is the church? And God is, is allowing people to rethink perhaps, what what they thought church actually was and was for. Yep. And um, when I wrote a chapter in my book did, and called the chapter, uh, Did the Church Pass the COVID Test? <laughs> and you know the answer to yeah. that, right, already. You know yeah. the answer. We did not pass yeah. that. And I think, friends, something's going to come around the corner, the next, quote, mm-hmm. crisis, whether it's manufactured or not. The church will be tested. Well, yep, they got to test America. positive for the gospel. Yeah. It's not worth it. I love that. <laughs> so we've been wanting to talk about this surprising uh, results, what's going on in Israel. Netanyahu assured with near certain victory as almost 90% of the votes counted over at, um, that's the Jerusalem Post, over at CBN, Netanyahu expected to start coalition and over at Harbinger's Daily, the government of change experiment failed. Netanyahu receives resounding victory in Israeli elections. Mary, 90% of the votes, could anything go wrong? Or uh, Seriously, I don't know how the Israeli elections work. Well, you know, it's, it's difficult because they don't do it like we do, where there's, there's an election every four years, whether you like it or not. But they have had many over the last five years. Yeah. And there's this coalition that. building, and I, I do not claim to understand that. But what I do understand is the media's response. The Guardian, which is, uh, you know, British, uh, and they tend to be, and along with the BBC, very pro-Palestinian, very. Well, the response is, here's the Guardian. The Guardian's view on Israel's latest election, a frightening day for democracy. It's the most <laughs> right-wing government in 74 years. Oh, my oh, goodness. The rhetoric is absurd, okay? And they're well, saying the results yeah. so far are deeply shocking, and it's the triumph of the racist far-right What's wrong with these people? Well, Mayor, let's continue talking about this story and the impact it could have with Netanyahu um, in power again. But the rhetoric, it, we're seeing parallels of this in America with Biden putting out this rhetoric that uh, Christians, conservatives, Republicans, mega Republicans, we're divisive. We are um, treasonous and we are, you know, we are dangerous to the country. He's, we're a threat to democracy as the narrative that the left mm-hmm. is putting out, the Democrat Party is putting out, the media, of course, taking their marching orders, they're putting that out there as well. So we're seeing, I mean, that's the Guardian with these far left, uh, you know, sites and organizations, and, and that's their worldview. They see right. it, they see it as that. We right. here in America are experiencing a little bit of that too. Right. And when you think about how far left everything has lurched, to the left. When you think <laughs> about how far left, up. anything to the right is going to be seen as extreme. Once you yeah. pocket yourself way on the other end of something, you know, looking down the hallway at anybody who's to the right of you is going to be a nut job. Um, that you know, means so, even moderates will be considered. Right, right. Yeah. I mean, I grew up in a, in a land where a Democrat was a Republican. You could kind of tell the players without the scorecard and you knew what they believed. And there was civ- civility. Yes. Um, and you allowed for every four years a change. So what? If your party didn't win, it, that ship has sailed. Yeah, it has. So what? what is uh, what's going to happen here? 90% of the votes counted. Mm-hmm. Looks like Netanyahu's going to come back in. Mm-hmm. And, and to some of us who have not been paying attention, it, it's a little surprising because we thought he was done. Yeah, I thought he was done because they were treating him like they were treating Trump. At the time, they were both in at the same time, and the world hated them both. Yes. And there were charges brought against Bibi. He's still working through all that. Um, I'm hoping they will be dropped. But, you know, I like to I like to wonder, what's the Lord doing here? This is where my mind goes. And I think 
Look what Bible prophecy says that could be taking place in our near future. An attack on Iran by Israel. Uh, Syria, uh, Damascus being destroyed. Ezekiel 38, dividing the land. Who better to be in? Is this God's man for Mm -hmm. those events? So I like to think of it as who better to be in a position of protecting God's people and God's land than Bibi? And I think there's way more to this than the Guardian's limited perspective. Right, so you're talking about prophetic implications, Mm -hmm. and that's Pastor Kevin, last night at our Bible study, we're going through the book of Daniel, he brought that Mm -hmm. up too, how it's kind of surprising that uh, he didn't think Netanyahu would get back in, but he also thinks uh, things are going to be happening under uh, Netanyahu, and he's he's the man in charge, and and so it's going to be fascinating. Um, you mentioned we only have uh, like two and a half minutes, I think, but you mentioned uh, Iran. You mentioned a couple other stories we wanted to touch on. You want to get us going? We'll continue after the break. Yes. Um, you know, the way things are going in Russia and all the all the corruption in Russia itself with the oligarchy pocketing military money, et cetera, et cetera. Uh, Russia and is per, uh, coming up with this axis that he wants to use some other people to help him out over there in uh, the Ukraine and uh, so Iran, of course. Now he's got North Korea and Chechnya. He's got a little axis going on there. Um, they're deploying Iranian missiles, drones, and personnel to attack Ukraine. And all the while negotiating for America's interests, supposedly, because now they want to revive this uh, Obama's Iranian uh, nuclear plan. Uh, which had a little clause in that said, well, you know, eventually we'll we'll let those sanctions go. And I'm thinking, talk about the fox guarding the hen house. It's just absolutely ridiculous. But um, basically, uh, I think that Obama is in on this simply because, well, it's helping to destroy America. And, and I think uh, it says drones, in fact, are not the only type of military assistance the Ayatollahs are handing to Putin as Iran emerges as the principal backer of Putin's war. What most Americans do not realize is that Biden and his reckless policies have been enabling a dangerous Moscow-Tehran alliance. The implications for U.S. security could be catastrophic. Mm, wow. Watch that. That's interesting. Um, possibly tomorrow, we're not going to get to it today, but there's another article on, oh, what, what did, uh, you brought in something from, I think it was from the Financial Times. Um, we'll, talk about that tomorrow, um, how this is going to affect us worldwide. Mm -hmm. But when we come back, um, how the United Nations turned against humanity. Plus, what did Biden say? He had a speech last night, strategic speech. Uh, You might want to call it a a Democrat campaign speech, a rally. But he decries political violence, but he's silent about leftist violence. And he's supposedly defending democracy. We'll talk about that more. And midterms are coming up next week. That's why. Thank you for listening and sharing today's show via StandUpForTheTruth.com slash podcast. Now, back to Stand Up For The Truth. Here's David Fiorazzo. Mary Danielson is with us, our co-host. Um, we are going to be talking about the world facing unprecedented rise in civil unrest. That's the article that I was trying to remember the name of when I was trying wanting to tease that before we took the break. So we'll talk about that tomorrow. Also tomorrow... Great article. I recommend Harbinger's Daily. They are very supportive of this podcast. And Franklin Graham says this is a time for all Christians to take a stand for Christ. And he mentions what is at stake for the future of our country. Um, This is not just rhetoric to get you to go vote. This is true, friends. We are teetering I think I did an article last week that says America's at a tipping point. You, you, know, you can phrase it however you want, but it's a very important time that a true Bible-believing Christians must engage. Also, I don't think we'll get to these, but very, very relevant in light of next week's midterms, um, behind closed doors, the feds and tech giants are trying to shape online discourse. In this report, Twitter and Facebook had regular meetings with DHS, Department of Homeland Homeland Security, on censoring Americans. This is interesting. Leading up to midterms, it's all going to come into play. But right now, before we get to the U.N. and uh, how they've turned against humanity, talk about lurching left, Mayor, Mm -hmm. the U.N. Um, Joe Biden had made a speech last night. I didn't watch it. Um, But it's interesting, the hypocrisy that the media will never address he is still the Biden's FBI and DOJ has yet to address the more than 100 pro-life pregnancy centers and churches that have been attacked and vandalized, firebombed 
hundreds of thousands of dollars worth of damage, including right here, our friend Jelaine Appling in Madison, Wisconsin. Her office is mm-hmm. still no arrest or person of interest. That was back the day after Mother's Day in May. That's the Biden, FBI, and DOJ. Remind our listeners, it took them four days to arrest somebody in Kalamazoo, Michigan, who put a threw a Duraflame fire log up on top of a Planned Parenthood building. It took them four days to track down an arrest. They even knew where he bought the log. They are not investigating. This is not equal justice. So I'm. you should be infuriated by this. I am, because we are living in a country that supposedly has a justice system, liberty for all, justice for all. But that's not what's happening under the Biden Democrats. So last night he gets up on this speech and he condemns Republicans for contributing to political violence during a speech outlining threats to American democracy. Now, you and I know what's going on with the rhetoric. Mayor, I want to get your thoughts on this before I blow up because this, this stuff infuriates me. There's nothing we can do but tell people and point out, here's what's happening, connect the dots. They're going back to January 6th. They're trying to get this rhetoric, and then they're trying to paint all Christians, conservatives, independents, Republicans, and MAGA Mm -hmm. supporters in one basket, and they're saying we are a threat to democracy. Go. Yeah. (laughs) You know, Trump talked about the swamp, and I thought I understood what that was, but Mm. I think the swamp is – I don't even know if there's another word for it besides that. Uh, it's much bigger than we think. The corruption is is phenomenal uh, in the DOJ and in the courts and uh, trying to manipulate the justices. I mean, there is no end to it. We're judgment ready at this point. They're all complicit mm-hmm. in all this because by not acting, you know, that makes them complicit with these situations. Mm-hmm. And uh, I think judgment's rising to the top like cream in a jug of milk. Um, and... Uh, this is, I think, our only hope at this point is the, the righteous kingdom of Jesus Christ. I, I would love to see these things change. And we are to be salt and light. You know, mm-hmm. um, Thessalonians talks about the restrainer and the restrainer being the Holy Spirit yeah. works in us and lives in us, which effectively mm-hmm. makes us restrainers, too, in the area of salt and light. And so whatever we can do, um, you know, we had Rick Scarborough on the other day, do what you can, when you can, where you can, how you can, and leave the rest <laughs> to God. And I think that that is really, really a good way to look at it. Do what you can in your sphere of influence um, so that we can uh, hold back this tide, if that's even possible. So, uh, friends, we're we're literally running out of time in more ways than one. <laughs> but go to biblicalvoter.com and get information there, biblicalvoter.com, or I, the, the letter I, voterguide.com. So biblicalvoter.com, ivoterguide.com. And here we have a blessed uh, organization here. We're so fortunate in Wisconsin, Wisconsin Family Action, mm-hmm. Wisconsin Family Council. They put out information on, they have a legislative scorecard. You can tell how uh, representatives have voted and what, what they're supporting, what they're not supporting. So go to biblicalvoter.com. We've got to engage this is not just about saying, uh, all right, I think I'll go. You're going to cancel my vote anyway, so it's not worth anything. No, this, this is our right as citizens. How do we express our voice? I mean, we're doing it here on the podcast, but not everybody has a podcast to try to raise awareness and say, hey, this is what's really happening. Connect the dots here, friends. But we need we can go to the polls and vote biblical values. And if you're unsure of what the 10 most important things in, in light of biblical values Go listen to that uh, podcast we did a few weeks ago with Dr. Andy Woods. Uh, biblical, you know, voters. We heard we hear that a lot. What it does that mean? Um, we've we've got to jump to the next topic. Um, the United Nations. I mean, we've talked about this. Alex Newman has been on many times. We try to get into the history and and why on earth we are still you know having the United Nations in New York and all that. But um, I guess October twenty four was United Nations Day, and the organization's tagline, Mayor. Peace, dignity, and equality on a healthy planet. <laughs> Gosh. <laughs> okay. They can just keep telling themselves yep. that. Syrupy, right? Yep. Um, Dr. Brian Klaus is the Director of Education and Research at Human Life International. He thinks the UN's public facade is deceptive. He says, quote, the UN's global depopulation programs are nothing more than dressed up plans for racial eugenic genocide. The U.N.'s population control ambitions, they're rooted in greed, environmentalism, racism, 
and fear of famine. They're trying to promote this. There's too many people on the planet. We're going to run out of food, and people are the problem, right? Whenever you hear someone in the climate change environmentalist movement you know, saying, hey, you know, we've got to you know, limit you know, the population growth, you're supporting abortion, you're supporting euthanasia, and what that even gets worse because that's the logical step, eliminate human life. Uh, Mayor, and there some Bill Gates and others have come right out and, and said we need to reduce the human population mm-hmm. to an astronomically low number, which you, you would have to. How would you do that? Nat, people naturally dying off, you're not going to get to that point. So they've got to actually murder Americans almost or murder yes. people around the world to get to their acceptable numbers of human beings on this planet. Your thoughts before we get back into the article? Well, and we, you know, we've known about the UN for a long time. We've looked at them. We've made fun of them. I mean, everything imaginable because they're, they, all they do is waste taxpayers' money and nothing comes of it. And we might think that globalism uh, just goes back to the UN and and the forties and the fifties, but you know, these, this layer of globalism has been building for a long time, and eugenics was very popular in the 1920s. I mean, if you look up the history of it, there's a 100 years of eugenics in this country, and it's not pretty. And then we had the U.N. So I think um, I think people realize the big picture here is the U.N., even though they're – it's folly. The U.N., um, they are still part of the globalist movement yeah. in, in every bad way you can imagine. And here they're headquarters based in New York, in America – and one of their goals is to uh, really get America to conform, you know, right. to destroy our economy so that we will have to go along with this one world government, right, and globalism. But you mentioned eugenics, and I've got to bring up Margaret Sanger, the mm-hmm. founder of Planned Parenthood. Um, she is one of the catalysts that if you read into history and how what was going on in the late teens and early 20s, she had the birth control review. One of the contributors to the birth control review was Ernst Rudin. He was a Nazi uh, sterilization specialist. He was a top psychiatrist and eugenicist uh, for Hitler. And he w- wrote some articles from Margaret Sanger's birth control review. It was said, I believe it was the Nuremberg trials or somewhere it was said that the birth control movement in America, the eugenics movement in America inspired Hitler and the Nazis. I have actually read that very thing that he he did not expect anyone to be surprised at what he was doing because the climate of the day was, you know, you you pull out the infirmed, you take out those that are, um, in his case, you know, the Jewish thing, which was of course spiritual in nature. Jewish, but, blacks, yes, handicapped. Yes, and he he really felt that because of the climate of the day, that what he was doing was no big deal. So the UN's worldview. Right. Abortion is the answer to this population problem. So this is what they're going to try. By the way, this is a great article. We can't get to all of it. We've just got a few minutes left. But by John Zmirak over at the stream. And he goes on. uh, A United Nations web post from October 3rd was titled Gender Equality Can't Wait. Wait a minute. This is the United Nations and they're putting this up. It highlights that, quote, over 1.2 billion women and girls of reproductive age, 15 to 49, live in places where there are restrictions on abortion. So this is the United Nations. Mm-hmm. Um, in, in July, there was a feature called the global population will soon reach H- 8 billion. Then what? So they have a population fund report, the state of the world population 2022. They are touting abortion as the answer to Almost all these problems, Mayor, and but they're also thrown in celebrating diversity, and this—it's just really amazing how this is all coming together. But the UN—you wouldn't think they would care about these things. No, you wouldn't. <laughs> and, and diversity—I mean, that doesn't even make any sense because these are the very people they don't want. You know, Margaret Sanger was very racist. Yeah. And I remember not too terribly long ago, Hillary Clinton was quoting her right and left, and all of a sudden she stopped. And I think that maybe somebody pulled her aside and said, uh, "You know, she was." One of the most yeah. racist human beings in the last hundred years. Yeah, stop, sh- stop saying uh, Margaret Sanger is yeah. a role model. Yeah. I remember these or women. That you're it channeling was, her. Or yep, something. Hillary Clinton, uh, <laughs> Katie Couric, the failed anchor at one of the news, I think NBC or something, or no, CBS. She was holding up Margaret Sanger. She was the one that, uh, anyway, I won't get into the, what, what she did to Sarah Palin uh, yeah. as a quote journalist. She was faking as a journalist. But um, so these tools include abortion birth control, sterilization, listen to this, 
divorce, purported sex education, and even the encouragement and acceptance of homosexuality. Why would the United Nations and the left be supporting all these things? Well, it's all part of their, well, environmentalism, uh, drive the activities of the population control movement to decrease the number of people in the world by whatever means available. Wow. Isn't that kind of above their pay grade? Not that they care, but... Well, people haven't been... I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't know what the answer is wow. there. But the roots of the UN's um, deviance in this area, this, this anti-Christian, anti-biblical worldview, goes back many, many, many years. And I, I don't know what it is, Mayor. I don't, I don't think there's enough uh, resistance to raise to do anything about this or, or awareness raised to, um, to really get this out there. But I, I love people that actually are writing about... Yeah, this is what... They're doing, and this is right here in New York, in America. Mm-hmm. Um, but, yeah, we talk a lot about globalism. We mentioned the U.N., but we don't actually go take a deep dive into their worldview very often and see how, how many other things they support that we would question. What is diversity and, yeah, and homosexuality, the breakdown of the right. family? That's kind of Marxist. Right, they're trying. They're they're, right. they're aligning with some of these godless worldviews. Oh, it's Satan's bag of tricks. You know, every yeah. evil thing that they can come up with to support and promote is what they're doing. I mean, we really are in some perilous times. Yeah, Second Timothy three. Hey, didn't they should have a conference on that? Perilous times. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Why hasn't anybody <laughs> ever thought of that? By the way, hey, I'm glad uh, you brought that up. Uh, but I'm going to bring up. Um, can you get DVDs? There was the Great Lakes Prophecy Conference that took place. Mm-hmm. Um, can you get DVDs for that now? And where can yeah, they? They're just look? about. They're just about ready to go. We had some technical difficulties, and those are being resolved. Yeah, and, yeah. No, the enemy <laughs> doesn't want these to go out. I'm absolutely certain of that. But mm. uh, I think we're looking at those being done uh, this weekend, and if not, early next week. And so, okay. if people want to order a set, they can go to ccappleton.org, and there is an order form on there. Um, or just, you know, they can call the church. But it's best to get the order form on there, get your order in, and we will send them out post-haste. So ccappleton.org. Yes, go to the, yes, go to the prophecy, go to the conference page. Prophecy conference. And then there's forms on the right, it's downloads, and download the form and send it in. For, and For people who don't know what we're talking about, can you remind us of some of the men that spoke there, including Dr. Andy Woods, who was phenomenal? Yes, Andy Woods, Chris Quintana, um, um yourself yeah david did a great session um and my mind is going absolutely blank well those are that's (laughs) that's a good start right there um jeff solwald i I loved his uh his message there a lot of great men curtis bowers curtis bowers was there higgins jeremy higgins yes okay so thank you you for that names escape me sometimes in my old age all right well anyway tomorrow (laughs) we're gonna have a blast catching up with elijah abraham he just got back from another international trip He is a trainer and equipper of Christian pastors, and sometimes he has to go there and uh, re-educate them on uh, the biblical worldview because they've adopted American Christianity and that. But anyway, we've got to go. We'll talk to you tomorrow with Elijah Abraham. God bless you, and as always, keep speaking the truth about things that matter.